Hello and welcome to the Third Sector podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week we are discussing whether trustees should be paid. A question that, when we put it to Twitter, certainly provokes some responses. But first, we heard the sad news on Tuesday that Captain Tom Moore has become one of the latest people to die after testing positive for COVID-19. He was 100 years old. Last spring, Captain Tom walked 100 laps of his garden to raise money for the NHS. He initially set out to raise £1,000, but by the 16th of April, he had smashed the record for a single fundraising campaign on Just Giving, raising a whopping £12 million. And in the end, he raised more than £32 million for NHS charities together. So it is another really, really sad day in a pandemic that has now killed more than 108,000 people. Um, Rebecca, give us your Captain Tom take. It's one of those stories where you have to be able to hold several things in your mind at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like, absolutely nobody wants to diminish the the amazing things that, that that this man has achieved even before he started pacing around his garden to raise money for charity you know this guy's a second world war veteran he's 100 years old mm. and yeah and he raised 32 million pounds for charity and that that really shouldn't be sniffed at or diminished like no wonder this story caught the public imagination the way it did at the same time as acknowledging all of that and being you know incredibly sad about his death it, there is something there about kind of the lionization of this one fundraising campaign that both kind of ignores all of the other amazing work that's going on at the same time mm. and the fact that actually the government really probably should have put some more funding in for both the NHS um, and for charities in general. I think there's a lot of confusion, certainly talking to people um, last night about it, that they were saying, oh, we raise money for the NHS. And it's like, well, that's that's not quite the case. Um and I mean, probably it's probably a good thing on balance. Like people shouldn't have to be walking around their gardens at 99 years old to fund public health for people. But yeah, I think it is a difficult one that, you know, that there have been and it's inspired other amazing fundraising stories like Tony Hudgel, mm. who was a five year old boy with prosthetic legs, who raised more than a million pounds for the Evelina London Children's Hospital by completing a 10K walk in June. There have been these you know, other amazing stories that I think we also do need to be paying attention to. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it, you know, I think it did, we did see an extraordinary year for individual fundraising last year. And people have responded to this pandemic by really going out of their way to raise money for causes that they care about. And I do think that, you know, a really big moment um, for that was was Captain Tom's walk. And it, for whatever reason, he really did capture the public imagination at that time and inspire others to to do the same thing but i completely agree with you um that you know we we need to be alongside individual fundraising efforts it's really important that we don't lose sight of the fact that the charity sector and charities as a whole do still need that broader structural funding coming in captain tom dedicated his initial walk to the nhs staff and to in his own words the super people working on the front line during the coronavirus pandemic so i think as we celebrate him for his achievements and as I think we recognise that he is one person in a huge group of people who've done incredible individual fundraising efforts in the last year, we are also keeping it front and centre of our minds that charities are another group of these frontline workers and we still don't really hear enough about them. Nearly a year, I would say now, into this pandemic. Um, 
In a tribute to Captain Tom on Tuesday, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he gave countless others their own chance to thank the extraordinary men and women who've protected us through the pandemic. Um, I think, you know, if the government want to honour his memory in a meaningful way, they should be considering offering greater structural financial support to the frontline workers that he did his walk for. And that also includes charities. Absolutely. Um, but yes, uh, another another loss yeah. to COVID-19. I think everyone's feeling it a lot this week. Another sad story in a few years of sad stories. Mm. A massive thank you to Captain Tom for his extraordinary campaign and his extraordinary optimism. Also a thank you to all those people who have fundraised. Uh, you may not have raised £32 million, but that doesn't mean that your efforts didn't matter. It doesn't mean that they haven't been seen and they've made a huge difference. Um, I hope that before this pandemic comes to an end, we are able to see some structural financial support alongside the enormous reliance that we have seen in the last year on individual people. Absolutely. And the work of charities goes on. The work of charities goes on. Shall we continue? Yes. So last week, the chief executive of the think tank MPC, Dan Corrie, wrote to Oliver Dowden, the culture secretary, with some thoughts about what the charity commission should do when it gets its new chair. Baroness Stowell is due to step down at the end of this month with an interim chair already lined up, allegedly, though we don't actually have any intel at this stage on who that might be. But one of Corrie's suggestions was that it should be easier for charities to pay their trustees. At the moment, charities have to get special permission from the Commission if they want to give trustees any kind of payment beyond reimbursing them for their expenses. And this is an idea that rears its head as a debate pretty regularly, so we thought we'd spend an episode digging into some of the issues surrounding it. So before we start, uh, a quick idiot guide to trusteeship. I know most of our listeners will probably be very, very well, well aware of what a trustee is and what trusteeship is. But just in case, let's uh, just outline what we're talking about. So trustees are the people who have overall control of a charity, who decide how it's run and who are responsible for making sure it's doing what it was set up to do. Their six main duties, according to the Charity Commission, is to ensure the charity is carrying out its purposes for the public benefit, comply with the charity's governing document and the law, act in the charity's best interest, manage the charity's resources responsibly, act with reasonable care and skill and ensure their charity is accountable. So they can, in some circumstances, be held personally liable if they cause the charity financial loss. And ultimately, they have responsibility for what happens at the charity. The buck stops with them. And as we said, trustees generally don't get paid for their role beyond the reclaiming of expenses. So things like your transport or your accommodation costs. They can be paid for providing particular services to the charity. So, for example, you have a trustee who's also a fundraising expert, might do some fundraising consultancy or, you know, is, it does kind of building work professionally. They might carry out some repairs. If the charity does all the legwork to prove that it's in the charity's best interest and there's no conflict of interest and so on. But they'd be getting paid for that work specifically not for the role of being a trustee. Very, very occasionally, if it's permitted within the charity's governing document or the Charity Commission gives special permission, trustees do occasionally get paid, but it's very, very rare. So what exactly are the biggest arguments? So in his letter to Oliver Dowden, Dan Corrie argues that paying trustees will increase the range of professional skills available in charity governance and is likely to increase the diversity of backgrounds that people enter the world of trusteeship from. And this issue of diversity 
is a pressing one. You're absolutely right. I mean, Charity Commission research in 2017 showed that 92% of trustees were white, they were older, and they benefited from above average education and income. Men outnumbered women two to one, and the average age of a trustee was between 55 and 64 years old. More than half of all the trustees that were surveyed for the research were retired. Yeah, and the bit about retirees and the bit about the higher than average income makes sense, right? You have a group of people who have a career's worth of valuable skills, who have time on their hands that doesn't need to be spent bringing in money. And just for the record, no one's saying these people aren't providing something valuable and should be summarily ditched from all boards immediately. The point of diversification is that it should be about inclusion, not exclusion. And there isn't exactly a shortage of trustee spaces. The Charity Commission recommends that trustees should have limited terms to avoid groupthink so you don't have the same people making the same decisions for decades at a time. Um, Both my parents are retired and have sat on charity boards and chaired charities in areas that were related to their careers. Neither wanted to work full time, but they didn't want to stop completely. And they had really useful experience to bring to the table. So for them, it was win-win. But I think they would be the first people to say that middle class retirees shouldn't be the only people on boards. And they're not the only ones with something to offer. I think it's a really obvious solution that if you pay trustees you will probably be able to draw from a wider range of talent and experience because more people will be able to dedicate the time to it and that's particularly people who have lower incomes or people who are at the start of their careers Um, I think that's just common sense myself and the thing is that boards do desperately need diversity as you've just said Rebecca I mean above anything else because diversity is the morally correct thing to do and that is something that we should be striving for without having to make any kind of business case for it but just because it is the right thing to do having said that having diversity of skills and diversity of insight having people who have diverse relationships with your cause area and a diversity of understanding when it comes to potential audiences for your charity those are all things that will make your organization better And the notion that you're going to get that range of experiences and skills and insights from a group of people who are from a 92% similar background or have the same experiences of kind of being in this world is pretty laughable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think everybody would kind of see the problem with, for example, a charity that mostly works with young working class black women you know, having the kind of typical trustee profile that we've outlined before, we could see why some of those decisions may not be the best in the world, may not be the most helpful. Um, I think there's also something to be said for the magnitude of what you're asking people to do for free. The, you know, the time commitment might be relatively modest. Often it's like a minimum commitment of four meetings a year and an away day. But then there's also preparations for those meetings. And then for board members who are on separate committees within the board or who have particular positions like chair or treasurer, there may also be a whole lot more work that goes into it. And don't forget that you are still on the hook if anything goes wrong. So think about Kids Company. We spoke about them a month or so ago. We're still waiting to find out if the trustees there are going to be now prevented from becoming the directors of other companies following last year's High Court trial. If that verdict sets a new precedence for trustee liability, it could it's something that could have a real impact on your career and your finances if you find yourself on the sharp end of it. Yeah, exactly. So... Let's have a look at the arguments against paying trustees. Um, And one of them is kind of the one that is sort of integral to the entire structure of of the charity model, that it's about altruism and civic duty. People donate their time and expertise in order to work for whatever difference the charity wants to achieve in the world. 
and that that in itself is something valuable and important to society. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners will be aware of there was a study or a book uh, in 1997 called The Gift Relationship by Richard Titmus. And what he did was he looked at um, the quality of blood donations you get. And this was, I think, in America, based on whether or not you pay for donations or whether it's a voluntary system. And what he found was that the you get a better quality of blood donation if you ask people to give rather than offer them money. Um, and, you know, he kind of said that this could be extrapolated into kind of a wider model of society, into policy. Maybe you could move that out into trusteeships and say that you are going to get people who are you know, not attracted by the money, who are dedicated to the cause. I go back and forth on whether that is hopelessly naive and, and sort of failing to take the real world into account, that people do have bills to pay. Mm. Um, so, you know, you could go either way on that. And I think it is worth pointing out as well that while there is a level of altruism that is involved, trustees are getting something out of it, whether it's about professional development, personal satisfaction, a chance to keep their hand in a career that's become part of their identity. Like, it's not an entirely thankless job. In fact, you know, many people would argue it's a long way from it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think a lot of the time when people do, I'm coming back to the retirees again, but a lot of the time if people are coming out of their full time career, they still want to be doing something. And a lot of people want to be doing something that they perceive as, as positive. And it definitely can be a rewarding job um, if it's accessible to you, I guess. There are also more concrete barriers to trustee payment. Um, one of the core questions is if you start paying your trustees, are you going to create a marketplace for certain skills? And if you do that, inevitably, smaller charities that have shallower pockets are the ones that are going to lose out. So Dan Corey kind of recognises this in his letter. And he says that we recognise that paying trustees would not be the right option for every charity. But we think that those who do want to explore the option should be able to do so without a very complex process that favours those organisations who have greater resource. Absolutely. Um, so, as we said earlier, we put out a poll on whether or not trustees should be paid on Twitter and got the better part of 50 responses in the first 15 minutes. So, so clearly people have opinions. At the time of recording, 168 people had voted. 51% said trustees should never be paid. Around 40% said they should be paid sometimes, and just 8% said, yes, they should be paid. In the replies to the poll, the tone was largely kind of nice idea, good for diversity, but... And the concerns were particularly around this issue of small charities being left behind. Absolutely. And I was really interested in how often that diversity, uh, practicality tension came up. Mm. Claire Laxton of Pause thought that there could be an argument for paying to increase representation and diversity on trustee boards. But she said that, you know, paying all trustees would definitely fundamentally alter the nature of charity governance. Um, paying trustees is also an approach that would be unsustainable for smaller charities, she warned. But then she circled back around again and said, you know, paying trustees would at least widen the pool of people who would apply and would hopefully bring more diversity to the sector. And Rita Chowder from the Small Charities Coalition made an interesting point that obviously she was arguing about um, the this issue of charities, smaller charities not necessarily being able to afford it. But she also said that you might end up in a position where... Um, funders and and sort of big trusts end up paying for governance as part of the, the you know the financial support they offer mm. which could create some really interesting conflicts of interest that, that yeah probably would be a bit naughty completely yeah 
Um, Andrew O'Brien made a really good point um, that kind of what we're thinking about is paying people from poorer backgrounds or those who need the financial support. That's where the focus has been. But we could end up in a situation where people who earn a lot of money already get paid even more for trusteeships. Um, So he says there's a real risk that the richest will just turn trusteeships into a new personal income stream. And there is a really good point there. You know, if the majority of trustees at the moment come from a similar profile, the majority of people who can claim to have experience of trusteeship are already going to come from that background. So are they going to end up wanting to get paid at a particular level? Is experience at trusteeship going to end up costing a lot? Who knows? Duncan Shrubsole, who's the director of policy comms and research at the Lloyds Bank Foundation, was very firmly in the never camp, never pay trustees, he said. But he did say that charities should take a fairly broad view of what expenses constitute for trustees. So that could be including offering to pay for childcare or perhaps even more radically lost earnings, which makes a lot of sense. And I mean, following on from that, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You know, there could be an argument for paying chairs, for example, a nominal amount in recognition that they do a bit more work than your average trustee. Um, So I spoke to someone who pointed out that NHS trusts pay chairs of their boards as much as £13,000 a year in recognition that they are doing more than the average trustee. And in return, they expect about a day a week's worth of engagement. Uh, So that could be one route to go. Another thing that came up a lot I saw on the Twitter thread was saying it's not actually just about paying people we shouldn't just necessarily throw money at this problem but instead we should be having a really close look at how trustees are recruited and that recruitment process Um, that's something that Penny Wilson who is a third sector columnist and the chief executive of Getting On Board a charity that helps people with board level volunteering has said in the past so she's argued that recruitment is probably one of the most effective routes by which to broaden the diversity of the sector. She's estimated that 90% of charities recruit trustees by word of mouth. Inevitably, this is going to lead to a lack of diversity in the ranks because, bluntly, people just recruit their mates. And if previous board experience is a requirement for being considered, you're massively limiting yourself from the word go. Yeah, I mean, as as Twitter user Vinnie Keating put it, but have you met Giles, Ian and Charles? Bloody good chaps! (laughs) Which did make me snort laugh a little bit, I have to say. Uh, (laughs) You know, there, there is that thing that it is just, well... I know these guys, they'll do. They're great, yeah. So he made a really interesting argument saying that he'd like a strategy for trustees to achieve and prove their worth so they develop better careers. So I think if I'm understanding that right, he's kind of arguing for a way for trustees to show employers what they've learned and accomplished as a trustee. So to have a way for that professional development that they've gained to be formally recognised. Matthew Sherrington made um, a similar point um he kind of said that he thinks on the whole trustees shouldn't be paid um but he's kind of saying you know perhaps actually the issue is more about decent active outreach and recruitment flexibility the profile of trustee you get depends on how the boards are recruited um i have to say i do think that there could be a role for employers here we're increasingly seeing employers offer volunteering days to employees as kind of part of the benefits package as part of their kind of corporate social responsibility um And I think it would be great if it could be part of the norm for employers to say, we'll also be flexible and help to accommodate any trusteeship responsibilities you might have and to kind of actively support their employees in that way. I completely agree with you, particularly because we've seen research and we know that charities say those one-off volunteering days are not 
actually that effective in long-term helping and supporting charities. Very nice for a short-term intervention, but the most useful thing that a lot of professionals can be doing is using their professional skill sets in longer-term voluntary work to help the charity fulfil things that it can't necessarily deliver in-house, pro bono work and support and so on. Trusteeships could be a really great long-term way to make that happen, to help boost a company's CSR profile in a really meaningful way and bring a set of entirely new demographics into important roles at these charities. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably most of our listeners will have heard the kind of apocryphal stories of, you know, the kind of you know youth engagement charity that has a wall that they just invite companies to come in and paint for the day mm. and then you know, the next company will come in the next day and yes. paint it a different colour. Uh, and that's part of their volunteering. And actually, they're kind of just more interested in sort of you know, the money that they're getting from this partnership and the volunteering kind of goes to waste. Um, so perhaps this is a, a, a better way of, of, of doing that. I, I have to say, with this whole issue of paying trustees, I honestly don't know where I fall on it. Um, you know, I'm not a woman with a shortage of opinions, um, but I do think that there are some really good arguments on both sides. Um, and I, I kind of feel very much like that Claire Laxton tweet where she kind of goes round and round and round in a circle within the tweet of, of well, on one hand, on the other hand. Um, I do wonder if there is something about raising the profile of the idea among the population generally and particularly among younger people, because I really don't think it's something that a lot of people are aware of as an option. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think young people understand it as, as an option for volunteering. I don't think they understand it as, as an option for kind of activism and, and change the world. You know, we know that Gen Z, we've had this conversation quite a few times and we certainly covered it in the magazine, that Gen Z are very idealistic. They want to be actively involved in making the world better. This seems like really fertile ground to be saying to them, OK, come and do trusteeships. Um, and I just, yeah, I just don't think it's something that that people consider. And perhaps maybe it's about, you know, an advertising campaign or something like that. I'm sure we'll both be looking with interest to see how the Charity Commission responds to Dan Corrie's letter and whether the new chair, interim or fixed, decides that they are going to take this particular challenge on. Each week, we are bringing you a mini coronavirus care package, a good news story that we've spotted in the sector. I've said that and I'm now going to immediately contradict myself because this has nothing to do with the charity sector, but I do have some weird world news. Um, It might be good, but it's also slightly tinged with Day of the Triffids energy. Are you excited? (laughs) I am very excited for the downfall of civilization. So (laughs) yesterday I found out that scientists at MIT in America have genetically engineered spinach plants that are capable of sending emails. Okay, I have questions. Um, So through the use of nanotechnology, these scientists have turned a batch of spinach plants into sensors which have explosive material detection capabilities. Uh, The robo-spinach roots can detect the presence of a specific explosive material in groundwater where they're planted. And if they find it, the carbon nanotubes within the spinach leaves emit a little signal going, danger, I think. (laughs) So that signal is then received by an infrared camera and the camera sends an email to the scientists alerting them about the explosive material. So we have, uh, I guess, 
mine detection spinach leaves in the world now. So please, Rebecca, give me your thoughts on this. Okay, well, I have two. Two key things leap to mind there. One, I feel like if we're talking about explosives, they missed a trick by not using rocket plants. Stop it. Instead of spinach. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, oh Rebecca why will you never take anything seriously I do take things seriously I just love a good pun I'm sorry uh it's not uh, it's not professionally acceptable in this job to love puns as much as I do and yet I do it's a good job I don't write the headlines um so uh there's that my my second thought is is largely there is a certain point about mid-Friday afternoon when, to be honest, I think I am sending out emails with about the same intellectual coherence as sentient spinach. Nice. <laughs> so I am wondering, I am wondering if this technology could be altered to send out some of the bulletins for us, frankly. Oh. Um, so I think that could be the charity news is charity news bulletins could be sent out by sent sentient by spinach, spinach at some point and would probably make more sense. I Who knows? love that. Let's free up resource. By growing some spinach capable of sending <laughs> our thrice daily email bulletins. That's an absolutely brilliant idea. I have to say, when I when I read this, um, I the first thing that immediately came to mind for me, and I don't know why my brain made this connection, but I did, but I just thought, you know, spinach, it's one of those plants that's kind of like 80, 90% water. Yeah. So I, I was thinking, if I, if I ever got an email from a bunch of spinach, it would probably be saying you're dehydrated, drink drink another glass of water <laughs> and for me the probably the most useful thing that spinach leaves could do besides potentially sending our e-bulletins which i will look into um would be sending me like eight emails a day being like you need to drink a glass of water now that would be great in all seriousness while this particular experiment was about detecting explosive materials um the scientists believe this technology can be adapted and used to warn researchers about pollution and other environmental factors in the soil so who knows where we could be in a year's time it wasn't on my kind of word bingo list this week spinach sending emails but perhaps it's going to be an incredibly good thing for the world let's bring it back to the sector rebecca have you got a story for us i have i have um so uh much loved comedian eddie izzard yes yay eddie izzard uh so she has raised more than a quarter of a million pounds for charity after completing 32 marathons and performing 31 comedy gigs in 31 days um which i mean both of those things are making me want to go and lie down just thinking about it like hats off to you so previously izard completed 27 actual real world marathons in 27 days for sport relief back in 2016 um and apparently she wasn't about to let some little thing like lockdown and all the marathons being cancelled stop her doing it again so this time it's on a treadmill she's been running and chatting to celebrity guests at the same time including stephen fry kelly holmes cast members from the west wing uh so just you know chatting away while casually running a marathon like she did the day before and the day before and the day before and um and the real kicker of this is she doesn't even like running that is bizarre. I don't like running. No. But I feel like I'm the kind of person who doesn't like running and would never run 31 marathons in 31 days. Yeah, and I'm kind of okay with that. Like, I don't like running. I don't run. It's a very cake or death situation, I feel. Would you like cake or death? Cake or death. I very much applaud people who don't like running and yet run 31 marathons in 31 days. That right. is particularly noteworthy, I would say. 
So where's the money going? The money raised is going to a variety of charities, including Fair Share, Walking with the Wounded, Care International, United to Combat Neglected Tropical Diseases and Covenant House, New York City. And I think the idea is as more money gets raised, Izzard's going to pick more charities uh, to send the money to. Um, so for more information, to donate and to watch some of those conversations that she's been having while running, uh, visit www.crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash eddie. E-double-D-I-E. And uh, from Rebecca and myself, Eddie, please lie down for a while now. Please do. Please treat yourself and then maybe come on the podcast. Oh, please. That would be amazing. That would be very cool. Um, So we'll get working on that. Uh, In the meantime, uh, we'll be back with another episode soon. So make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Until then, I'm Emily Burt. And I'm Rebecca Cooney. And our producer is Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. We will see you next week. (laughs) 